Good morning, everybody. Welcome to you. My name is Tim Harris, pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church. If you're new, so glad that you're here. Welcome to you. All of you on Facebook Live, YouTube, good to see you all. Thank you for finding us. If you're church family and worshiping, gathering with us online, uh, virtually, uh, we still love you. You're a part of this family. We can't wait till we're all together again, but we appreciate uh, the care you're taking of yourself right now. God bless all of you. Open your Bibles to the book of Galatians, New Testament book of Galatians. Chapter 5. We are in the middle now of a sermon series entitled Growth Spurt. We're talking about spiritual growth. I don't know exactly how far we can take the analogy of physical growth to spiritual growth. They must have some things in common. Physical growth is mysterious. It's strange. Um, If you've ever had a child or watched a child grow, it's interesting how they stay. uh, It seems like the same for so long, and then they overnight just a growth spurt. They just seem to just grow. Uh, I remember my son, there are mornings I look at breakfast and think, you grew six inches overnight. I mean, it, it literally seems that way. There was a kid in my high school, though, that, that like never grew, just never did. Like nothing wrong with him. He was just a, a, like a termite, just a little bitty guy, which I kind of enjoyed because I've always been kind of a wimp, you know, just kind of a skinny, puny, you know, uncoordinated dork. And so I enjoyed having somebody, you know, if, if I wanted to bully somebody, I could have bullied him, you know, because he was just littler than me all the way through high school like we're 18 years old this guy was still just small just like like tiny tiny guy true story graduation high school graduation he was so small that like his graduation gown like was sweeping the floor like he was just little um and so anyway we graduated high school probably three years later something like that i was finished up at western i was outside it was a pretty day i was out there in front of the library one of those uh, sitting areas, and this big man, this giant ape of a man was sitting there smoking a cigar. The cigar was as big around as my arm, smoking. And he said, aren't you Tim? I said, yeah, do I, do I know you? You know? He said, yeah, we went to high school together. And I'm like, man, I, you know, I would have remembered that cigar you know, from high school. Uh, anyway, I said, I'm sorry, I can't place you. You know, who are you? And he said, I'm, I'm Scott. <laughs> he was that guy, like the little bitty Scott dude, you know, it's like, I mean, just like an ape. And if you look closely, you can see his little bitty face, like right there in the middle of his head, like he was still that, that little guy. Like, I don't know, like he, like he had a growth spurt after 18 or 19, God bless him, you know. I mean, and not a little one, like, just, just happened overnight. I, I don't know in the spiritual life if there are spurts like that, but I do know that some of us, all of us, are in some process of growth spiritually, and it could be that some of us really do need to recover some progress. Maybe some of you really need a shot in the arm, a growth spurt, and maybe that this sermon series can, can help you. Uh, Stay where you are in Galatians. I want to show you a, a verse from the book of Ephesians chapter 4. This is what the Word of God says. Paul says this a couple of pages over from where we are. This is the verse or the kind of verse that inspires this whole series for me. This is where I'm coming from. This is what Paul says. This will continue. This, in this context, when he says this, he's talking about the work of the church, the life of the church. So he says, the work of the church will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son. I'm going to stop there. We all. We all. The important thing to remember here is that we're in this together. 
Your spiritual life, your spiritual growth, your spiritual health is absolutely connected to my spiritual health, my spiritual growth, my spiritual life. We don't do this without one another. And that's the real danger for those of you who are now worshiping online. You're making a good choice for your health, but I want you to consider the price you're paying in your spiritual health. I'm not saying that you need to rush in and start worshiping in person, but I am telling you that you've got to find ways to connect to God's people. You cannot just simply live disconnected. You can't stay distanced in every kind of spiritual way. We need each other. We can't do this without one another. Spiritual growth is not something that you do privately or like an independent study. So again, those of you, most of our church is worshiping from home. I get that. I support you in that. But as your pastor, I just want to remind you, you need one another. We all still need each other. Find ways to stay connected. So the work of the church will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be, say the word, mature. We will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Uh, the Greek words for full and complete literally mean full-grown man. Full-grown man. So our aim spiritually is to be mature, to become full-grown men and women of God, so that we may no longer be immature like children. His word there is infants, you know, like like diaper baby, you know? So the idea is, as the children of God, we're not supposed to be diaper babies. We talk about, you know, we're all in God's family, we're all God's children, but please understand, Jesus' aim for you is not that you're like, you know, like one of God's children, like a diaper baby. You're like a grown-up son. You know, my son is 26 years old. He's a grown-up now. He's an adult. I enjoy him a lot more now than when I was, you know, finding boogers on my couch. You know, he was young, he was immature then, but I'm telling you, there's great pleasure when you are a full-grown adult son in the father's family. Y'all with me? So the idea is that we become mature, fully grown men and women spiritually, that we not remain diaper babies. The thing about spiritual growth is it's not physical growth, so I don't really always know how to measure it. I'm 55 years old. I got saved when I was six years old. So I've been at this almost 50 years. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I am, have made good progress. I'm, I'm reaching completion in maturity in the Lord. It doesn't mean that at all. I mean, some of you have been in church literally every Sunday of your life. And church attendance is important to you. But church attendance does not equal spiritual growth. You can go to church your entire life and nothing ever changes and the spiritual life, a life of spiritual growth, is a life of transformation. You are continuing to be more and more in full and complete standard of Christ. You're reflecting Jesus. So how do you measure spiritual growth? If we're a pediatrician's office, I'd have you come in, stand against the wall, I'd make a mark and see if you're growing, tell you you're in the 60th percentile, whatever. But the spiritual life doesn't work that way. We need another metric. And the metric we use here at Woodburn is this acronym REFLECT, R-E-F-L-E-C-T. We're just asking you to look at these qualities of Christ, these aspects of the spiritual life, and measure yourself. How do you think you're doing? 
The R we talked about two weeks ago, that's relationship. Uh, love God, love others. Last week we talked about the E, evangelism. Healthy, healthy living things grow, but they multiply, they multiply. So a healthy spiritual person brings others also uh, to, to know the Lord. Today we're on the F. Let's talk about the fruit of the Spirit. And with that we turn to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Just quickly, Paul is writing a letter to the church at Galatia. He preached the gospel there, which was the gospel of Jesus, that salvation is a matter of God's grace, God's goodness. You can't earn it. You can't be good. It's not like you're just going to be a good person and then God's so good, God's going to let you in heaven one day. That's not how any of this works. None of us are good. All of us are sinners. That's the gospel. So salvation is a free gift for those who believe. All you got to do is believe. All you got to do is want Jesus and invite him to be your savior. This is the gospel Paul preached, the gospel of grace. But somebody came behind him at the church in Galatia and they added to it. They added law. They added rules. In other words, yeah, you may be saved by grace, but in order to please God, you still got to follow all of the rules in the Old Testament, and there's a bunch of them. And so the church was becoming confused. They were beginning, having started out with the grace of Jesus, now they're trying to continue by just working hard at keeping all these laws of Moses. And Paul, in the book of Galatians, is saying, well, what kind of fools are you? Why would you go back to being slaves to the law when Christ has set you free? So this is the letter. And so Paul's wrapping it up here in the end of chapter 5 by talking about life in the Spirit. And this is how it goes. Chapter 5, verse 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what the sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, Selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law to govern these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. I'm told that it was the Lakota Indian chief by the name of Sitting Bull who said, Inside of me, there are two dogs. One is evil and one is good, and they are constantly fighting each other. So they asked Sitting Bull, which dog wins? Sitting Bull said, the one I feed the most. A little Native American wisdom for you there. 
It's interesting, the idea that there are two dogs fighting inside of me, one good, one evil. That's not exactly the Bible, but honestly, it's the same sort of truth that Paul emphasizes right here in what we just read in Galatians chapter 5. What Paul says that there are two forces, he calls them forces, two forces are constantly fighting each other inside you. Now, Paul's talking to believers. If you're not a believer, if you've never surrendered your life to Christ, then we're not talking about you. This is the life of the believer. Inside the believer, there's this constant struggle between two forces, two dogs, if you will. Paul names them spirit and flesh. Spirit and flesh. Now, the New Living Translation, which I'm reading out loud, says spirit and the sinful nature. Spirit and and sinful nature. You have in you these two forces. You have the spirit of Jesus that lives, if you belong to Jesus. He's always pulling you in the direction of following after him. But you have a pull in the other direction, and that's from your sinful nature, your flesh. Sinful nature. Nature has to do with things just left to themselves, right? And so you, if you're just left to yourself, honestly, you're always going to lean towards sin. You're always going to lead towards sin. You have this sinful, selfish nature. This is what Paul is pointing to. So inside of you, you have these two forces always battling it out, your sinful nature and the spirit of Jesus. Now, here's what you have to understand. Inside, inside, your own sinful self is constantly fighting against the spirit of Jesus, but the results are seen outside in the way you treat other people. I know, the spiritual life is is invisible, right? I said you can't see it. We we don't know how to measure it, per se. But honestly, what's inside of you will always inevitably start coming out. And it's going to be expressed, for the most part, in your life with other people. Remember everything we said about relationships being important in the spiritual life. Primarily because love is God's essential characteristic. God is love. And everyone who knows God is born of God. And and whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. So when you walk in the Lord, you're walking in love. And, And love is sort of impossible to share or express or point to unless you're talking about a way of being with other people. So your spiritual life is always, of course, primarily related to the person you are on the inside, the deeper parts of yourself. But those deeper parts of yourself will always be reflected on the outside in the person everybody else has to live with. You follow that? You understand that? So that's why in your spiritual life, we're so often and regularly talking about your life with other people. In this particular passage, Paul is talking about the importance of understanding grace is the way of salvation, not law. And to sum all that up, he talks about the importance of love. You have to love your neighbor as yourself. And this is what leads them into the fruit of the Spirit. We're still talking about your life with other people. So your spiritual life always comes out in your life with other people. That's why I say over and over and over, relationship problems are spiritual problems. If you have marital problems right now, understand it's a spiritual problem. You're thinking that the problem is just she's just like her mother, but no, the problem most likely is neither one of you is very much like Christ. 
Relationship problems are spiritual problems. Your problems at work right now, the, the, the fact that you can't get along with most people, understand, that's a spiritual problem. The fact that you date somebody six months and then you're done with them and you leave in your trail this long, long wake of broken relationships, that's a spiritual problem. Relationship problems are always spiritual problems. So when Paul wants to talk about our spiritual lives, he gives us two lists. The first list is the list of the things that happen when you just get left to yourself, your sinful nature. If you live according to just what comes naturally to you, your life is going to go in a certain direction. You'll have a certain orientation. You with me? And the list that describes that is found in verses 19 to 21 of what we just read. Again, he compares two lists, the the fruit of the Spirit, which we're getting to, but here at the top is what he calls the works of the flesh, the results of the sinful nature. Look at the things on this list. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, Jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition. Did you notice a theme, a pattern? Dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, other sins like these. Do you notice a connection there? Most of those sins listed there are automatically, you and I can automatically connect those to selfishness. We can automatically connect those things to broken relationships, division, dissension, envy, outbursts of anger, and on and on it goes. Do you see that? Do you understand that? So here's the thing. Your sinful nature is, by very definition, selfish. You're turned in toward yourself. And so left to yourself, you're going to see people more or less as objects for you to use, Perhaps for your sexual pleasure, for your sexual fantasy. That's where Paul's list starts. But then it goes on. They may just be objects of your anger. They may just be objects for you to manipulate in order to get what you want. And on and on it goes. But you get the picture. I read this list and you say, Pastor Tim, I don't do any drunken orgies. I mean, that's not my life. And I understand that. You you can perhaps be excused from that one, but I promise you, if I read that again with feeling and slowness, I think you'd find your name in there somewhere. Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfishness. That's just, in, in so many ways, who we are, but at the same time, Paul, would you understand, if you're a believer, that's not who you are. I mean, for Paul, what he's saying here is it may be normal for others to fornicate and hate and separate, but it's not normal for those who follow Jesus. That's not normal. The the fact that we have so much problem getting along with people, the fact that you have so many people that you try to avoid because you're staying so mad and bitter at them, the the fact that there's so many different problems and conflicts and uprisings in your life, to understand that's not how it's supposed to be. You're supposed to belong to Christ. Your life is not supposed to be driven only by sexual desires or selfishness. You have the Holy Spirit that is pulling you in a different direction. And this is exactly what Paul is trying to say. That's why he gives us this second list. He calls them the fruit of the Spirit that starts in verse 22. Now, before I read them, let me just stop because I know how some of us think. I understand how some of us think. I'm going to read this list and you're going to say, oh, I love all those things. 
I love those. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I love, these are all of my favorite things. That's what you're going to tell me. I love all those things. Or you're going to say, Pastor Tim, you're right. I need, I need one or two of those things in my life. I need to try a little more kindness. Now, since you brought it up, you should. I agree. You know, you, you, you need more. I mean, you brought it up, so let me just say, yeah, it would help us all if you would try a little kindness. But, but that's not how this works. You're missing the point. That's not how any of this works. Understand, healthy spiritual fruit comes from deep spiritual roots, We're talking about your whole spiritual life. And what Paul says here is that the Holy Spirit, when you let the Holy Spirit control every part of your life, the Holy Spirit will bear fruit. There's a transformation that happens, and it comes from seeking the Spirit, staying in step with the Spirit, surrendering to the Spirit of Jesus. You don't become kinder by trying to be kinder. I mean, do I need to tell you that? How old are you, 35, 36? I mean, haven't you learned this by now? Like, I'm going to read this list. You're, going, you're right, Pastor Tim. Tomorrow, I'm going to be more patient. I'm going to be patient tomorrow. And by 2 o'clock, you will have your fingers, you know, around somebody's throat. But by 2 o'clock, what are we learning here? We're learning that this isn't in you. You're not going to become a better person by trying to become a better person. It's not in you. If it were in you by now, we all would have seen it. We're telling you, it's not in you. You need the Spirit. You need Jesus to do a work in your life to transform you. This is what spiritual growth is. It takes my whole life, but every single day of my life, Jesus is changing me to make me more like him. And he's put the Holy Spirit inside my life, and the Holy Spirit brings power. Power. That's why Paul says it's foolish to try to follow the law. The law can tell you what the rules are, but the law can't give you power to keep them. The only thing the law can do is remind you that you're a sinner because you're going to fall short every day. But if you want to have victory in your life, if you want to actually make progress in your spiritual life, you need power. And that power comes from the Spirit. And they were talking about a life in the Spirit, a spiritual life that puts down deep roots. not just talking about coming to church on Sunday. That's part of it. That's a good part of it. But you've got to get more serious than that. Serious about following Jesus, really wanting him, wanting him to change your life. You've got to start letting the deeper parts of yourself go down into the deeper parts of Christ. You need some roots here. I like what J.D. Greer says. J.D. Greer says that a lot of people read the list of the fruit of the Spirit and they just want to take one off the tree like patience and they just want to add it to their life. Like, I need more love. I need more patience. I'm going to take these kindness, gentleness. I'm going to add these things to my life. But J.D. says, that's like taking like a rose blossom, a, a, a rosebud, and stapling it to a dead bush. Like, you just take a flower and you staple it to a dead bush. Because the point is, you can't just add these things to your life. It doesn't work that way. You're just stapling something to a dead bush. We've got to get to the point, the actual point, where your spiritual life is healthy. It's growing. It's multiplying. You understand what I'm saying? So Paul brings us back here to what he calls the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 22. Let's walk through them one at a time. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. First, love. 
I've talked about love two weeks ago, so I don't think I have to hammer this one a, a whole lot, but it's the most important one, right? I mean, love is the essential quality of God, his own character. God is love. So if you're going to walk in him, you're going to have to be filled with his love. His love is going to be flowing through and out of you. Other people will know his love because they've seen something of your love. This is how this works. Of course, we're not talking about any kind of warm feelings. Don't be silly. I'm talking about having warm feelings. Paul is not here using any of these qualities in a private sense, like, like you just have love in your heart. No, love in your heart's kind of worthless. You need love for other people. It's going to have to do with how you actually treat other people. First Corinthians chapter 13 is called the love chapter. It's all these things that love does. It doesn't say a blame thing about what love feels, how love feels. It's not there. It's about how love acts, how it treats other people. Did you see that? And the thing about love is it always requires a sacrifice. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit producing love in you, what this means is you're changing day by day to become a person who is more willing, more able to sacrifice yourself for the sake of others. You're willing to sacrifice yourself. Wherever there is true love, somebody made a sacrifice. And according to this passage, that person needs to be you. You have the love of Christ in you, and that is a love that loved the world so much that it gave its only son to, understand, save all of us who believe. Love sacrifices. So that fruit of the Spirit, love in you, it causes you to be able to sacrifice yourself for the sake of others. Love, number two, joy. Joy. You're thinking, yeah, Pastor Tim, joy, that's going to be mine. I want more joy in my life. You know, 2020 was hard, and I'm ready for joy. Yeah. Am I going to say this again? When Paul says joy here, he's not just talking about your mood. He's not just saying, like, you're going to be a happier person. You've got to have joy in your heart. Joy in your heart's important. I promise you it is. But if you genuinely have joy in your heart, what's important here is the effect that you will have on other people. This is what matters in this list. The fruit of the Spirit are always revealed in the way you interact with other people. So when you walk into the room, when you step into relationship, because of the Holy Spirit at work in you, you should be raising the joy level. Understand? This is the effect of your life on other people. You should add to their joy because of the joy of the Spirit in you. Are, are, are you hearing me? Does, it, does that make sense? I know it's hard perhaps to understand that, so think about the opposite. It's hard to imagine a person who can add joy, but you've certainly known people who subtract it. You ever just had the person in your life who is just the fun sucker? I'm not making a joke. Some of you right now, some of you dads, not always dads, but I'll just say dad. Some of you dads right now, you are the fun sucker in your family. Like everybody is having a really good time, and then you get home. And when you come home, you shut it down. All the joy, all the fun ends with you, the fun sucker. When you walk in the door, you know, you belch twice, you fall into your chair, and then from that point on, it's no joy. You suck it out of the room. Y'all ever known anybody like that? You ever worked with anybody? I mean, have you ever had a person like that in your life? They just come in and they just, you know, just suck all the joy out of every room they walk into. You cannot be that person. You have the joy of the Lord as your strength. 
You have the joy of the Holy Spirit bearing fruit in your life every single day. When you walk into the room, when we add you to the mix, the joy level comes up. The joy level rises. Love, joy, peace. Peace. Okay, I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it over and over. We're not talking about like your private peace, like your, your secret tranquility inside your heart, you know, home all by yourself. No, we're talking about a spiritual quality which is always going to play out in relationship. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, the people who make peace, the people who bring peace into every situation. Again, if you can't picture that kind of person, then think about the opposite. There are people, when you add them to any group and they're going to all of a sudden just, they're going to cause trouble in a group. They're going to cause division. They just got disagreement written all over them, and they are disagreeable, and they just walk in and blow everything up. You know, there's division. There's dissension, and they always seem to be in it. They always seem to feed it. But, but that's not how we are in the Spirit. We're people of peace. We have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of peace in us, and so in this world, we are a different kind of presence. We're a presence of peace. When I was in seminary, my mentor is a great Baptist theologian named William Hendricks. I love that man, and he was a great influence for me, an amazing man. Um, I went on a mission trip early in seminary with him and a group. We went to New York City. It was my first trip to, like, the big city. Uh, I'm from Woodburn, right? Have y'all driven around the city of Woodburn? Like, y'all know where I'm from, like Woodburn. And so New York City was, you know, and I feel like Gomer Pyle, you know, like, golly. You know, just everything was just amazing to me and kind of scary, um, but just because it was so, so different. On Sunday, they split us up into different churches all across the city. So we were spread out all over New York City. And I was in a church in Manhattan, which is kind of a nice Baptist church. And I sang, that was my deal, I sang that day in, in that church service and. And then we had a prayer time, and in the prayer time in the church in Manhattan, there was a lady from, from, from Greenwich Village, and she was in our church in Manhattan that Sunday, and she just said, I want to ask everybody to pray for the village. Now, here's the thing. This was in the, in the 80s. There was a gay pride parade, and this was like during the AIDS stuff. So it, was, it, was, it was really heightened. Everything was turned up 100 notches. It was a gay pride parade in the village that day, and, and it was a big deal, but but just prior to church service that morning, um, there was a carload of, of agitators who just plowed into a group of gay men and, uh, and violence broke out. The Greenwich Village just exploded with violence that Sunday morning. And this woman was saying, I just want you to pray for peace, pray for peace in the village. Now, I'm, I'm just going to be dead honest with you. I'm praying for peace because I'm in church and she asked me to, but I'm also thanking the Lord I am not in Greenwich Village you know, that day. I mean, I just am. I'm just thinking, how close is Greenwich Village to where I am? You know, and am I in danger? Is it, is it going to be violent here? Uh, I'm also just kind of glad it's not going to be a gay pride parade, you know, on my way home. Um, I was just, that's just who, who I was and, and where I was. And um, so I prayed for peace in the village, you know, with all my heart, I did. Uh, but here's the thing. When church was over, I'm sitting here talking to people and shaking hands, and I'm sitting with my seminary buddies, and our professor, Dr. Hendricks, he just walks by us, and he doesn't really say anything. All he says is, we're going to be having lunch in the village, and then he just keeps walking. Like, just keeps walking. And I'm like, oh, dude, that poor old man, like, he can't hear anymore. Like, like he didn't hear 
he didn't hear what I just heard, you know. Because, like, y'all, there was a gay pride parade in Greenwich Village that day, and streets are full of people, you know, in a parade, number one. And in number two, there's violence now. There's violence. It's blown up. You know, tear gas, police officers, you know. And I'm just, you know, I'm not saying these exact words of Dr. Hendricks, but I was saying words like this. It's like, Dr. Hendricks, I don't know, I don't know if you heard what I heard. But, you know, village doesn't, I don't think we're going to find a quiet place, you know, not a good lunch place today. And Dr. Ernest looked straight back at me and said, Mr. Harris, the village needs a presence of peace today. So we got on the subway and we went to Greenwich Village and we got off the subway. And I mean, that place was on fire. I mean, it, it was bad. It was violent. And there was a gay pride parade that was uh, like nothing I've ever seen. We walked right through the parade, right through the smoke, and um, walked in a little cafe. It's full of full of drag queens, y'all. I mean, honestly, it's full of drag queens, and and uh, we were seminary students. <laughs> y'all, I don't know, white shirt and a tie, like you know, dork, like just biggest dork in the world. <laughs> and uh, and I had the grilled cheese. And there was a woman right here, there was a man next to me dressed as Marilyn Monroe and a room full of of drag queens. And it was one of the most important lessons I learned about what it means to be a Christian in the world, to just be a presence of peace. Y'all, we didn't preach. We didn't preach. Um, Like I say, I had the grilled cheese we just ate lunch, and we, we brought peace. We, we walked in peace. We loved and prayed for everybody we saw. Right now, our world is 9,000 different ways of blowing up and dividing. And, and my concern is that you, as a, as a person of the Spirit, as a walker after Jesus, that I don't see enough people who are presence of peace in this world. I'm not talking about that you have to stand up and, and preach at people. That doesn't hurt, but sometimes being a presence of peace doesn't look like that. It's just knowing how to be in the world, like in the world where people are in the midst of the division and the dissension and the anger and the brokenness. You just know how to be there in Jesus' name. And if you can do that, there's a spiritual quality to your presence. There's a fruit that is born in that, and Paul calls it peace. You can be a presence of peace. Some of you aren't. You aren't. In your family, you're not the bringer of peace. You're not the peacemaker. You're the peace breaker. And I'm just telling you, that that's not the Spirit's work in you. Love, joy, peace, patience. I, I got to move you. I got to talk faster. Patience. Um, patience. I know. Again, don't make me say it again. You're thinking patience. I need patience. You know, the other day I was at the line in Starbucks and it was 20 minutes before I got my latte. Well, patience. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about you in a long line at the bank. 
Uh, yeah, that's patience too, but again, we're talking about relationships here. This is a hard word to translate, honestly. The King James had a better word. It was forbearance. That's a great word. You don't know what that means either. Forbearance. It's just this, um, th- this ability to, to bear with people. You know, we think about, you know, we would talk about a person with a short fuse. You know anybody with a short fuse? It's like, it just don't take anything and set them off, you know? You say good morning and they're like, Pfft. They just blow up on you. It's like, what? I mean, there are people with a short fuse. The word Paul uses here literally means long-fused, long-tempered. In other words, you know, we probably, you just take a whole lot of crud from people before, we might never see you blow, you know, because you got that long, long fuse. This is what patience does. Patience is that supernatural ability to put up with a whole lot of crap from people. That's just what it does. It's a superpower. It's a supernatural power, and a lot of us don't have it. But the Spirit will bring it out if you'll walk in the Spirit. Amazing ability just to, just to put up with people. It's a passive quality. It's the ability to not say what you'd like to say, to not do what you'd like to do. It's that ability just to sit there in peace, to sit there in love, and let them just continue to unload it on you. That takes patience. It takes patience. That's what Jesus reflects. That's what he calls to be born in us, patience. Now, the other side of that is kindness. If patience is passively, you know, just letting other people treat you with unkindness, for example, then kindness is that active side of love. That's me stepping forward to see to it that you get the good that you need, that the good that that, that Jesus would want me to give to you. That's kindness. Now, kindness, picture the word in your head, K-I-N-D-N-E-S-S, kindness. That first three letters, that's the root, and it's kin, kin. And so if I said to you, yeah, my kinfolk live in Simpson County, what have I just told you? Well, what are kinfolk? Family. Family. And so this word kindness, it comes from that word for kin, for for family. So the idea is it doesn't matter who you are, I'm going to treat you like family. I've seen how some of you treat your family. You need to work on that, but go with me. You understand what I'm saying here? Kindness is just that that, that you will absolutely meet everybody that you see with the very same love from Jesus, the very same goodness, the very same patience, the same peace, the same joy. It doesn't matter who they are. If they're your enemy, if they're your friend, it won't matter because in your mind, it's a sister, it's a brother. Everybody gets the same kind of love just like family. Don't you love that? Kindness, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, goodness is just Paul's overarching word here. This, this would describe all of these things. All of these things are a part of, of, of goodness. This word is so general that later in chapter 6, I think verse 16, I think it's verse 16, Paul will say, anytime you have an opportunity, just do good to people. You know, just do good. Do good to everybody. So this is Paul's big word. This is a general word for goodness. Faithfulness. Faithfulness is a quality that we associate with God. God himself is faithful. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He keeps all of his promises. Understand? And and when we talk about faithfulness being something the Spirit creates in me, this is what we're talking about. The Spirit does this in you so that you don't leave people. You don't forsake people. You keep your promises. You come through for people. 
I mean, you know, Dad, if you got the Holy Spirit, you're going to come through for your family. You're going to come through for your wife. She won't have to wonder if you're going to do what you said you do because faithful people just do what they say they're going to do. They, they keep their promises. You can set your watch by them. You have a faithful person. If you invite them to lunch on Thursday, they're not going to cancel on you because they get a better offer. Understand? They're faithful. They're going to do what they say they're going to do. They're going to keep their promises. They're not going to leave you. They're not going to forsake you. That's faithfulness. Man, the world needs more faithful people. Wouldn't you agree? Amen. Faithfulness, almost done. Gentleness. Gentleness. You're thinking gentleness. That, that sounds wimpy. That sounds mamby-pamby. That, that sounds you know, like something sissy, being gentle. And, and you're missing the point that, that gentleness is not the absence of strength. Actually, gentleness often demands a great deal of strength. We're not talking about weakness. Gentleness is different. Have you ever wanted to, to take a butterfly into your fingers? It's one of the hardest things you'll ever do because even the smallest child has in her fingertips the, the strength to crush that beautiful butterfly. Not to mention that, 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 that sparkling dust on their wings that, that is essential for their flight. You don't even want to rub the dust off their wings. So when you must... Handle one, you handle them with such gentleness. You see, it's not about being weak, it's just about being trustworthy with your strength. In relationships, this is very important. If you've ever fallen in love, then you know what it is to sort of give your heart to somebody. And when somebody gives me their heart, they're giving me the most naked, vulnerable part of them. I mean, now I can now see them, I see their flaws. And when you hand somebody your heart, you're giving them everything they would need to destroy you if they wanted to. They could crush you. And by now, some of you have learned that there are people in this world who cannot be trusted with your heart. If they see your wounds, they will come back and wound you again. If they see the place where you're weak, they will take advantage of your weakness. There are a lot of people who cannot be trusted with hearts. But this is the quality that Paul is talking about here. This gentleness is a relational gentleness. That means that I can put my heart in your hands and I know that you won't hurt me. Gentleness. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Self-control. Now you're thinking, Pastor Tim got you there because self-control is not relational. That to me sounds like, you know, just me controlling me all by myself. And I understand what you're saying. You're thinking it takes self-control for you not to bite your fingernails. I know. I get it. Or it takes self-control that you're sticking to your diet. Like right now, what you really want to do is eat your way through a whole jar of mayonnaise. But no, self-control, you are going to show self-control. So like that's why like you're trying not to cuss and some of you not smoking. And it's all about self-control and you think of that as private. But I want to tell you that in the spiritual life, self-control is also very important in relationships. Seriously, I, I reading a Christian book on marriage, and it talked about how to be a better listener, how to improve communication. And it had nine steps, nine steps to being a better listener. Nine steps. Nine. Okay, I could make this simple for you, sir. Uh, and this is a free course in listening. You ready? It has to do with self-control. But we can, I, I can, we can get rid of all nine steps. You ready? Here it is. What you got to do is shut up and listen. Like just, just stop talking and you listen. 
Like, that's self-control. See, when the other person's talking, like, your brain's going like, mm, mm, boy, I'm going to say this. If she'll quit talking, man, I got something to say. It's going to be so good, man. I'm going to zing it, man, as soon as she can say it. And then, and then before she quits talking, man, you say it. And it should have never been said, but, oh, it was delicious when you said it. Mm, boom, you know? This is self-control. It's just simply, it, it is the supernatural power from the Spirit to say no to yourself so that you can say yes to others. You say no to yourself. No to what you want so that you can say yes to what others need. Just self-control. Say no to yourself. Some of us don't do that. Some of you never heard the word no. Like you're a grown man that still eats only chicken McNuggets because your mama never told you no. Like, you know, you have always gotten to do what you want and you're still doing what you want. And this is a problem for you. It's in your, a problem in your marriage because you just always think that you get your way. Nobody's ever told you no. You go to work and, and you don't listen to anybody. You, you don't think that the boss has the right to boss you because nobody tells you no. And, and see, self-control requires that you are able not only to hear the word no, but to tell yourself no. Most of us need the Spirit for that. So the final verse, Galatians, uh, the last two verses, 24 and 25, say this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of the sinful nature to his cross. Okay, if we stop right there, understand, that's, that's the old dog, right? That's the old dog. That's the one that sitting bull said you want to starve, you know, make it weak, don't feed it. But, but Paul goes further than that. Paul would say, you know, it's not just the passions and desires of their sinful nature. We're not just going to starve them. Paul would say, we, we got to put the devil to death. You know, we, we got to put him down, put him away. You can't take this dog and keep it in your life like a pet. Understand, you got to get really serious in your spiritual life and serious about saying no to yourself. You got to get serious about continuing to live your life the way you want to live it and serious about living your life by the Spirit. That's what Paul says. We nail the passions and desires of the sinful nature to Jesus' cross and crucified them there. Since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Every part of our lives. We live by the Spirit. Earlier in the book of Galatians, Paul has said, I have been crucified with Christ. That's what he says. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet it's not I, but it's Christ who lives in me. So understand, if there are two forces battling out inside of you, one of them is your old self, your old sinful nature, and your only real option is to crucify that person, crucify that old girl, crucify that old man on the cross of Jesus. You've got to put him down for good so that you can live out the life that Christ has for you. Christ, the Spirit of Jesus living in you. So if there's any kind of commitment or or prayer coming out of this message today, I think it would be just really simple. I would encourage you just to not just pray, but just make the commitment to the Lord. Just, you know, Jesus, more of you, less of me. More of you, less of me. Crucified with Christ. It's not I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. 
Your spiritual life requires this attitude, this desire to just lay down the old life, live a new life in Christ. And here's the thing, when you start living out that life in the spirit, that new life, the blessings in, in, inside of you, the deepest parts of you going down into the deepest parts of Jesus, it's a wonderful inward experience. But the thing is, everybody else who has to live around you, they're the ones who are going to begin to know the love of Jesus just because they know you. But pray with me. Oh, Jesus, our prayer is simple. More of you. More of you in our minds so that we can think your thoughts. More of you in our eyes so that we can see the world the way you see the world, so that we can see people the way you see people. More of you in our mouths so that the words that come out of our mouths are words that bring life and not words that cut people. More of you, Lord Jesus, in our hearts so that our hearts can be broken by all the things in this world that broke your great heart. More of you, Lord Jesus, in our hands and the work that we do every single day so that the work we do isn't just a job but a purpose. More of you, Lord Jesus, in our feet and all the places that we go, Lord, so that we're not just living for ourselves but living for you. More of you, Jesus, and less of me. Less of what I want, less of what pleases me, less of what continues to keep me in chains, Lord Jesus. Less of me, more of you. Holy Spirit, we have played around the edges of a spiritual life for so many years, Lord. Some of us have been in church for decades. Some of us have a PhD in Sunday school, and yet, Lord, we haven't learned a thing. We haven't changed a thing. The Holy Spirit has hardly begun to do the work in our lives, Lord. We continue to be diaper babies before you. So, Lord God, we just pray simply more of you, less of us. Help us to grow, to learn, to change, and to bear your fruit. Holy Spirit, help us to follow you in every single part of our lives. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.